Chapter Nine of the Princess and Curdie by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Hands. Curdie went home, pondering much, and told everything to his father and mother. As the old princess had said, it was now their turn to find what they heard hard to believe. If they had not been able to trust Curdie himself, they would have refused to believe more than the half of what he reported. Then they would have refused that half, too, and at last would most likely, for a time, have disbelieved in the very existence of the princess, what evidence their own senses had given them notwithstanding. For he had nothing conclusive to show in proof of what he told them. When he held out his hands to them, his mother said they looked as if he had been washing them with soft soap, only they did smell of something nicer than that, and she must allow it was more like roses than anything else she knew. His father could not see any difference upon his hands, but then it was night, he said, and their poor little lamp was not enough for his old eyes. As to the feel of them, each of his own hands, he said, was hard and horny enough for two, and it must be the fault of the dullness of his own thick skin that he felt no change on Curdie's palms. "'Here, Curdie,' said his mother, "'try my hand, and see what beast's paw lies inside it.' "'No, mother,' answered Curdie, half beseeching, half indignant. "'I will not insult my new gift by making pretense to try it. "'That would be mockery. "'There is no hand within yours but the hand of a true woman, my mother.' "'I should like you just to take hold of my hand, though,' said his mother. "'You are my son, and may know all the bad there is in me.' Then at once Curdie took her hand in his, and when he had it he kept it, stroking it gently with his other hand. "'Mother,' he said at length, "'your hand feels just like that of the princess.' "'What? My horny, cracked, rheumatic old hand!' with its big joints and its short nails all worn down to the quick with hard work, like the hand of the beautiful princess. Why, my child, you will make me fancy your fingers have grown very dull indeed, instead of sharp and delicate, if you talk such nonsense. Mine is such an ugly hand, I should be ashamed to show it to any but one that loved me. But love makes all safe, doesn't it, Curdie? "'Well, mother, all I can say is that I don't feel a roughness, or a crack, or a big joint, or a short nail. Your hand feels just and exactly, as near as I can recollect, and it's not now more than two hours since I had it in mine. Well, I will say, very like indeed to that of the old princess.' "'Go away, you flatterer,' said his mother, with a smile that showed how she prized the love that lay beneath what she took for its hyperbole. The praise even which one cannot accept is sweet from a true mouth. "'If that is all your new gift can do, it won't make a warlock of you,' she added. "'Mother, it tells me nothing but the truth,' insisted Curdie, however unlike the truth it may seem." It wants no gift to tell what anybody's outside hands are like, but by it I know your inside hands are like the princess's. And I am sure the boy speaks true, said Peter. He only says about your hand what I have known ever so long about yourself, Joan. Curdie, 
"'Your mother's foot is as pretty a foot as any lady's in the land, "'and where her hand is not so pretty "'it comes of killing its beauty for you and me, my boy. "'And I can tell you more, Curdie. "'I don't know much about ladies and gentlemen, "'but I'm sure your inside mother must be a lady, "'as her hand tells you, "'and I will try to say how I know it. "'This is how. "'When I forget myself looking at her as she goes about her work,' and that happens oftener as I grow older. I fancy for a moment or two that I am a gentleman, and when I wake up from my little dream, it is only to feel the more strongly that I must do everything as a gentleman should. I will try to tell you what I mean, Curdie. If a gentleman, I mean a real gentleman, not a pretended one of which sort they say there are many above ground, if a real gentleman were to lose all his money— and come down to work in the mines to get bread for his family, do you think, Curdie, he would work like the lazy ones? Would he try to do as little as he could for his wages? I know the sort of the true gentleman pretty near as well as he does himself. And my wife, that's your mother, Curdie, she's a true lady. You may take my word for it, for it's she that makes me want to be a true gentleman." "'Wife, the boy is in the right about your hand.' "'Now, father, let me feel yours,' said Curdie, daring a little more. "'No, no, my boy,' answered Peter. "'I don't want to hear anything about my hand, or my head, or my heart. "'I am what I am, and I hope growing better, and that's enough. "'No, you shan't fill my hand. "'You must go to bed, for you must start with the sun.' It was not as if Curdie had been leaving them to go to prison, or to make a fortune, and although they were sorry enough to lose him, they were not in the least heartbroken or even troubled at his going. As the princess had said, he was to go like the poor man he was. Curdie came down in the morning from his little loft, dressed in his working clothes. His mother, who was busy getting his breakfast for him, while his father sat reading to her out of an old book, would have had him put on his holiday garments, which, she said, would look poor enough amongst the fine ladies and gentlemen he was going to. But Curdie said he did not know that he was going amongst ladies and gentlemen, and that as work was better than play, his workday clothes must on the whole be better than his playday clothes. And as his father accepted the argument, his mother gave in. When he had eaten his breakfast, she took a pouch made of goatskin, with the long hair on it, filled it with bread and cheese, and hung it over his shoulder. Then his father gave him a stick he had cut for him in the wood, and he bade them good-bye rather hurriedly, for he was afraid of breaking down. As he went out, he caught up his mattock, and took it with him. It had on the one side a pointed curve of strong steel for loosening the earth and the ore, and on the other a steel hammer for breaking the stones and rocks. Just as he crossed the threshold, the sun showed the first segment of his disk above the horizon. End of chapter 9 Recording by Hannah Mary